I get the privilege of introducing our guest speaker today, and he always likes to make it clear that I'm not related to him. <laughs> In the heavenlies, we are. <laughs> Somewhere on the bloodline, we may be, so, you know, yeah. So, uh, but Dr. Don Phillips has been a good friend. In fact, he's been a friend of uh, Judy and my, myself so long that he knew me when I had hair, him and Ruthann. So, uh, you know, without any further ado, he's, oh, <laughs> that's a long time. But, uh, you know, we are so blessed and privileged to have Dr. Don be able to speak to us this morning. So you get the, you get the double whammy. You get the second Phillips next week, but you get this Phillips this week. So welcome, Don. Thank you so much. I wanted to take this opportunity, first of all, to thank Hillside family for your prayers. Um, I think some of you got the report uh, about the last test that I had concerning the cancer. Um, some of you didn't get it, so let me just give you the good news. Um, after the PET scan, they discovered that the activity around the tumor, cancerous tumor, in my lungs has been reduced 50%. So, amen. So I just wanted to thank all of you for praying, and we're still believing for a full healing. Uh, it was amazing going through the, the last PET scan. Uh, incidentally, the first time I went to Kaiser Santa Clara to get a PET scan, uh, I hadn't been to the new Kaiser in Santa Clara. We always go to Santa Teresa. And as I was driving up Lawrence Expressway, uh, getting close to Kaiser, knowing that the, it, the hospital would be on the left, but looking on the right, there was a pet hospital. And um, so I went on in, uh, talking to the technician, and I said, um, and it's quite interesting that this uh, pet hospital is on the other side of the street from Kaiser, where I'm coming to have my PET scan. I wonder if somebody got confused coming for the PET scan and went there instead and say, I'm here for my PET scan. I said, well, would you like to be scanned with a cat or a dog? About two weeks ago, I was uh, there for the PET scan, and I'm going to share this with you because it leads in to some of the things that I want to share with you today. Um, I'd had PET scans before. I was familiar with the procedure where you're in a small room, lying on a bed, and they um, give you an IV of radioactive material, substance, and then you have to lie there under a warm blanket for an hour while the radioactive material circulates through your bloodstream. And uh, while I was there this time, I had this, this was a great opportunity for me to just meditate on the word and pray and worship and just enjoy the presence of God. But as I was lying there, the Holy Spirit began to deal with me in some areas of my life as I was just meditating on him. And the thought came to me, I don't know whether it's my thought or the Holy Spirit, but either way it sounds good. Um, PET scan. That stands for, um, let me see here, I wrote it down, it's a technical term. Um, positron emission tomography. Isn't that big? But what God gave me that it meant was personal examination time. Personal examination time. So I said, all right, God, let's do business. If this is personal examination time for me, then I want you to point out anything in me that makes you sad or offends you or grieves you in any way. This is a prayer that I pray practically every morning and sometimes through the day. God, point out anything in me that makes you sad. And the Holy Spirit began to point out some things, and I wasn't surprised. <laughs> but one of the things that the Holy Spirit pointed out to me was that I'd been cheating on my diet. Sorry about that, folks. But um, with my new diet that I've been on for two and a half years, I'm not supposed to have any sugar because sugar, cancer feeds on sugar. 
And so I had to go on a sugar-free diet. But in the last few months, I've been cheating. I've been eating a little bit more sugar than, well, I've been eating sugar that I shouldn't have been eating at all. And the Holy Spirit convicted me of that. And, but I, as I was thinking about coming here today, I was hoping that the Holy Spirit would help all of us look at this period of time here today in the next few uh, minutes that we're going to spend together, that if you will allow the Holy Spirit to let this become for you a personal examination time. Uh, if you could put that first slide up there, Daniel. Good. Personal examination. Are you ready for God's PET scan? Some of you are not, because you do not want God to examine you right now. And I understand that. I've been there. But I understand, God, don't turn the searchlight on me right now. I'm not ready to give up what you're going to expose in my life. But I tell you, folks, as I look at the world that we're in today and see what's happening and see Christians that are supposed to be Christians committed to God, acting like non-Christians, in fact, it's pretty epidemic throughout the whole church world that it's hard sometimes to tell a the difference between a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and a person in the world. And I believe today that the Holy Spirit is giving all of us an opportunity to do some very serious examination of where we really are inside, of what's going on inside of us that would cause us to miss out on what God is about to do throughout the world. We are on the verge of a major revival an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're beginning to taste a little bit of it now, and we've been tasting it off and on the last several years. But I tell you folks, I know that you can, many of you confirm this because you've been wanting that so desperately. God, pour out your Holy Spirit on our world. We are in a desperate place. And somehow or another, as the Holy Spirit is working with me, there is coming a desperate cry from deep within my spirit. God, whatever it takes for this world to be turned around to you, do it. And I believe that there's some things happening economically, politically, worldwide, that we're right on the very verge of something very phenomenal, that in one hour or less, our whole world can be changed instantly. And I believe that God is going to pour out his spirit on the church. And then from the church, it's going to be poured out in the world. Several years ago in our own church, at Christian Community Church in San Jose, and incidentally, Pastor Gentile uh, was our pastor for a number of years before his son-in-law and daughter took over the church as leaders. Um, but when we, uh, having worship service probably 25 years ago, we've been with them for 43 years as leaders at Christian Community Church in San Jose. One Sunday morning, uh, I was on the platform with some of the other elders, and we were having worship service, and then the prophetic uh, began to flow. And the Holy Spirit showed me a picture of a large vessel container. Uh, and then he showed me another smaller container. The larger container was the church, and the smaller container was individual Christians. And God said, I'm about to pour out my spirit upon individuals and upon churches. But I'm hesitating because if I were to pour my spirit now into these individuals and into this particular church, it would leak because there's cracks and holes in it. If I were to pour out my spirit on individuals that I desire to do, it would be contaminated with too much of themselves. And therefore, I am waiting until the opportune time when my individual believers and followers of me will be so sold out to me that they'll look for that purity that can only come by dwelling in the presence of a holy God. And when that time comes, and this is what I'm praying for. That's why I am looking at my own life now like never before. Point out anything in me, Father, 
that would contaminate your Holy Spirit from profusely pouring into me so that I can pour more out to others. This is the cry of my heart, and I hope it, it is yours. Because I know that some of you are not ready for that yet. But I am praying that even as I'm ministering this morning, that somehow or another, you would do business with God and you would confess and repent, even as I'm speaking, before a holy God. God, I am so sorry. God, I feel so bad that I have grieved you like I've grieved you. And allowing things to come into my thought life, into my activity, that has grieved you and has kept you from pouring out your Holy Spirit within me. And I'd like for you to just take a few moments to close your eyes. Shut yourself in with God. And ask God to help you see yourself the way he sees you. And as he points out those areas of your life where you know you sin, nobody else knows about it except you. Would you do business with him right now? Father, forgive me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Cleanse me, Father. If the Holy Spirit doesn't do it, then you don't need to do it. But if the Holy Spirit is pointing out those things, they're coming glaringly before the screen of your mind, then do business with God. Repent. Repent. The Holy Spirit brings conviction out of kindness. The kindness of God brings repentance. He's not up there with a big club beating you on the head for the sins of your life. He's a loving, compassionate God just saying, yes, you've sinned. But I sent Jesus to pay for your sin. Confess your sins to me now. Receive my forgiveness. Father, thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit right now. Prepare us, Father, even more for what you want to accomplish. Father, I just thank you for the reality that you're such a holy, holy, awesome God. And yet you desire, Father, fellowship with us who are not where you are as far as holiness. But Lord, you love us so much that you're patient with us to allow us, Lord, to continually allow you to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, we do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for us to, in thinking about knowing uh, getting to know God and seeing God. That song that we sang this morning, I appreciate the worship team so much. I wonder if we could have this thing down here. We've got strong men. Norm, let somebody else here. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> he knew me when I was nothing. <laughs> I tell you, I love this man, his wife, his family. I'll tell you, it's been a joy through the years to experience them. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, excuse me, I, I don't know, it's my old age, I'll be 79 this year, and I, I have a lot of nasal stuff happen sometimes, and I was watching a dear old friend of mine, he's about the same age as I was, ministering in a conference, and he kept wiping his nose all the time, he says, oh, is that the way I look all the time when I'm up there? <laughs> but uh, I wanted to give you a scripture here, uh, the Lord... Laid it on my heart this morning, and Ruth Ann and I, as we were getting ready to um, come from San Jose, incidentally, Ruth Ann and I were just having heaven all the way down from San Jose. Man, the beauty of God's creation. After the rain, the green grass, the beautiful trees, and everything, and the clouds. And I was thinking, oh God, this is so beautiful, but it's nothing compared to what it's going to be like with the new earth and the new heaven. <laughs> but uh, this morning as I was, uh, I, and I say this to you, not to impress you at all, because I know I couldn't impress you, but uh, for the last many, many years, I get up every morning a little bit before four, 
no matter what time I go to bed, my body clock wakes me up at four, and I have that precious time with the Lord. But uh, those are so intimate and so personal. And uh, many times just I have sometimes some very low instrumental music going on in the background and then opening the word. And many times the Lord just brings my attention during that time to particular passages. But every day I read five psalms and one proverb. Five psalms a day, whether you finish at the end of the month, you finished all the psalms. One proverb a day, the end of the month you finished all the Proverbs. And, but this morning, this is the scripture that the Lord put on my heart out of Jude 2. And this is not part of the notes of anything that I had prepared for today, but let me read it to you out of the NLT. Jude, which is the book immediately prior to the book of Revelation, verse uh, 17. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ said. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, and this is what I want you to really let the Holy Spirit drive this part in because it did with Ruth Ann and I this morning. It was amazing. We, a lot of times we were getting dressed and everything. We watch uh, Christian television. We were watching uh, uh, what's his price name, honey? Fred Price Jr. Man, I love the way uh, these young uh, uh, people of these pastors becoming such great Bible teachers. But he was ministering on this one, this particular passage. But you, dear friends must build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and wait for the mercy of Christ, Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. Folks, I don't know how many of you have really been baptized in the Holy Spirit where you have, where it just gushes out all over you and, and have the heavenly language that, that God gives with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know that there's a lot of people that don't speak in tongues that have a great relationship with God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They can uh, do so much in the power of the Holy Spirit. But according to the scriptures, we have the option also, along with that gift, to receive the fullness of being able to speak in a language that we've never learned. The Holy Spirit language, glossolalia, speaking in tongues. And I tell you folks, if you've never had the experience, I beg you, seek it. You're going to need it now in these days more than ever. The power of the Holy Spirit and being able to pray in a language you never had, allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through you that you might be able to receive the fullness of what God has for you. I tell you, 43 years ago, as a Southern Baptist chaplain, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It revolutionized my life. Ruth Ann received it. Our children received it. And we've been basking in that through the years. I could not do what I do every day, folks, as a professional therapist, dealing with broken lives and broken relationships. I could not do it if I did not spend time in his presence, praying in tongues, allowing the Holy Spirit to build me up, to be able to see things from his perspective, to be able to see people the way he sees them, to be able to love them the way he loves them, to be able to touch them the way he touches them. And it cannot be done. So I just want to encourage you. Some of you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you don't practice it. And I beg you, in the name of Jesus, stir up the gift of God that's within you. If you, don't have, if you have it, let God begin to refresh you. And if you do not have it, seek it. Even today, at the end of the service, as opportunity comes for you to come and just say, God, I'm open. I want to receive it. It's a gift that God gives to you. It's not something that you earn necessarily. It doesn't make you any uh, more of a Christian. But it does give you a power. And that we're going to need more power now than ever before. Uh, but you, dear friends, 
must build yourselves up in your most holy faith in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with a great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. And I hope you meditate on that. There's so much I could do. I could pre preach the whole thing on that, but I'm not. I'd like for you to think one other thing right now, and that is, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Because you can't know the Father unless you know him. Do you really have a relationship with Jesus? Has there come a time in your life when you repented of your sins and opened the door of your life and said, Jesus, come in. I receive you as Lord and Savior. I open the door of my life, the doors, and let you come into every part to take control. I put you in the driver's seat. I make you not just Savior, but I make you Lord. Do you really know him? I'd like for you to watch this clip, video clip right now, and uh, just let this kind of move into your heart of getting to know him and knowing really what goes in our thought life and so on. But uh, may, perhaps by the time this video is over, you'll know him better, okay? And the human mind processes on average 47,000 thoughts in a single day over 17 million a year and over 1 billion in a lifetime. That's, That's hundreds of millions of questions in a human life. life. Of those questions, of these three resound. Who am I? Why am I here? Where do we come from? These three questions led to an even bigger question. These three questions lead to an even bigger question. These three questions led to an even bigger question. A question that answers all questions. A question that answers all questions. All questions. says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the he records the age, he rewards the diligent, and he purifies the weak. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless.
If you don't know him, I'm sure that whets your appetite to know him. And those of you who know him, know him better. <laughs> uh, here's some scriptures that I want you to bring to your attention right now on how we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit to help him do a PET scan on us. Okay? Psalm 139. Brother Norm is going to read it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Yes. Uh, Psalms 37.3. You have tested my thoughts and examined my heart in the night. You have scrutinized me and found nothing wrong. I am determined not to sin in what I say. Job 3.10. The, the message. But he knows where I am and what I've done. He can cross-examine me all he wants. And I'll pass the test with honors. Okay. Next one, please. Romans 12, 1 through 3. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. And continue. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. Hallelujah. Uh, I hope you make notes of where those verses are and meditate on them, uh, chew on them, and let the Holy Spirit continue to work. Um, and again, as I'm sharing scriptures and thoughts with you here today, I encourage you to continue to be open to the Holy Spirit, to let him really work from the inside. And my main concern today, folks, is that There'll be such a presence of God that you can repent instantly as the Holy Spirit brings things to you. You know, this, this happened to me this morning. I tell you, I'm, I'm on a, a trip here with God, letting him point things out. And you'd think, being a Christian for 70 years, I've been a Christian for 70 years. I was almost nine years old when I accepted Jesus. I'll be 79 this year. You'd think I'd have it all together by now, wouldn't you? <laughs> But I don't. God's still working. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what it was this morning, what he pointed out, but what it was the way I treated my wife. And you'd think with a marriage counselor, working with so many hundreds of marriages through the years, that I had all that down. I'm still learning too, folks. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. <laughs> but I would like for us to think about perspective right now, the upward, the inward, and the outward. And uh, this next uh, slide uh, is a rough draft. I haven't refined it yet. I've got to take time to do that. But I'd like for you to look at this triangle and look at the top circle as being it's God. And the middle circle is the Father. And the circle out from that is the Son, Jesus Christ. And the outer circle is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit and Jesus points to the Father. They're talking about the Father, and there's such a relationship going on between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Before there was created anything in the world, it was just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They had no beginning, and they'll have no end. But before they created the world, this is the thought that went on in their hearts. They were saying, you know, this is so wonderful that we have this kind of relationship and communion with one another. Such joy, such peace of communion, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet they're one. And don't ask me to explain the Trinity, because I can't. All I know is it's one God, and there's a Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit. But it's one God, not three gods. But as the Father desires to have a relationship with us, he works through the Holy Spirit through Jesus. Look at one of the bottom circles there. It's us. The, bottom, the middle circle is the Spirit. And that Spirit is dead in trespasses and sins before it's made alive through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And then it becomes alive in the dwelling place for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we begin our relationship with God as the Holy Spirit comes and touches our body, our five senses. We hear the gospel preached. We hear people talk about Jesus. We see it lived out in the lives of believers and followers of Jesus. We see and read the scriptures that talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. Then our soul, the next level, is activated. We exercise our will. Our emotions are touched. And our will is activated, and we determine in our soul to repent of sins and re receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And then at that moment, in an instant time, our spirit becomes vibrantly alive. And therefore, from our spirit, we began to control our soul and our body from the inside out. A lot of worship songs today about the inside out. That's really what life is about, folks. So many believers and followers of Jesus today are working from the outside in. They're going by their body sensations. They're going by their feelings and their emotions. And they're not really being spirit-led. This is why I consider the Bible such a vital part of the daily diet of Christians. Folks, as long as I've been reading the Bible, I have a hunger for his word today like never before. In fact, I can't get enough of it. Sometimes I'm two to three hours in the word, and my wife is sharing the same testimony. There's just a hunger for more of his word. Let me tell you why I believe the word is so important. And it's out of Hebrews, the fourth chapter, when it says the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You take, let the Holy Spirit apply the word to your life, and you're going to find that you're going to be living a much more victorious, fulfilled, abundant life than ever before. Because this is what happens. Our spirit that is made alive in Christ. If we're not building up that spirit man, through the word and through prayer and the communion with the Father, through worship, through the word and all of that. If we're not building up that spiritual man, here's what happens. The flesh. The flesh is the soul and the body. Begins to overwhelm the spirit and limits its ability to control. So no longer is that Christian spirit controlled. That's, that Christian, still a follower of Jesus, still loves Jesus, but, because he's not building up the spiritual man, is going more by feelings and emotions and body sensations than he is by the Spirit. So there's a need for surgery. And the Holy Spirit, with the Word, becomes the surgeon's scalpel. Because really what happens in that condition, and this is why so many Christians are struggling today and defeated, and victorious, and back and forth, and back and forth, and repenting, and trying, and working, and falling back and forth, is because they're not building up the spiritual man. And it's very easy for the flesh to gradually quench the spirit. So as the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, the Word being the written Word and the living Word, Jesus, begins to come down like a surgeon's scalpel and begins to separate the soul and the spirit. When that happens, 
the spirit then has a chance now to get back in control. Because now you see that your thoughts have been challenged, your lifestyle has been challenged, now you realize, man, I've got to get back in focus. I've got to get my mind in the right place so I can begin to function from a spirit-controlled life where I now can command my soul like the psalmist David did on so many occasions. Hey, soul, why are you so depressed? Get up from there. Hope in God. I tell you, there's power in a spirit-controlled life. When we're feeding on the Word of God and we're spending time in His presence, we're praying in the Spirit, we're building ourselves up, we begin to command our feelings and saying, hey, look, yeah, I know you'd like to lay there a little bit longer, and I know your body, you'd like to have that extra piece of chocolate cake, you know, all that stuff. But listen, hey, I'm not your slave. You're my slave. Paul said that. I lead my body around as a slave. And to bring our thoughts captive the obedience of Christ. But look at what happens down here with this person in one of those bottom circles. He's got it all connected now. He's spirit-controlled, and he... The longest line of priority from his spirit to the Father heart of God. And that's where the Holy of Holy is, folks. Coming into the presence of the Holy God in his presence. I tell you, if you do not have a hunger for the presence of God, then I beg you in the name of Jesus, let him whet your appetites. Because I tell you, where we're at now, if we don't have that hunger for the presence of God, we're not going to make it. And I really, folks, I am scared. It scares me to see the lifestyles of so many Christians that claim to be Christians and living like the world. I see it all the time in my counseling office of people coming in and had a young man in yesterday, supposedly spirit-filled, telling about going out on St. Patrick's Day and getting bombed. <laughs> and. He didn't seem to bother him too much. Well, I'm, I'm, it doesn't happen very often, and I don't drink that much, and so on. But I tell you, and the lifestyle of so many Christians, and statistics tell us <laughs> they're out there. Just as many divorces in the church today is out of the church, and all the other kinds. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But that, when that spirit is made alive, and we're touching the Father heart of God, we're moving into his presence, then on a relational level, the two levels. The other person on this end here also has that relationship. I tell you, it's such a simplistic diagram, folks, but catch it if you haven't got it before. Where God is at the apex, you're over here, the person you're relating to is over here. And if you individually are growing in that relationship to the Father, you're saying, God, the most important thing in my life is not to solve my problems, even though I like them solved. The most important thing in my life, Father, is to know you more intimately. Open the eyes of my heart, Father. I want to see you. I want to relate to you. And when that is there, folks, and you've got that going and you're moving that direction, you're moving towards a central focal point. It's going to be so much easier for you to be closer to each other. You don't have to work at it that hard, believe me. A lot of the work happens because we're way back down here somewhere. The closer you get to the Father, you're going to be closer to each other. Let's look at the upward perspective here. Uh, <clears throat> Norm, I need your help again, brother. <clears throat> My uh, throat isn't that good today, but I appreciate, uh, through the years, I've appreciated Norm's vo voice. He's very dramatic. Uh, he's a good auctioneer. Have you ever seen him auction? Yeah, yeah he's good at that, too. Uh, the okay, he'll be good about what? what? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't speak in tongues right now, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to build up my holy faith yes. there. The upward perspective out of Isaiah 6. Okay. In the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, 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 holy is the Lord of hosts. What a coincidence. That's what we sang today. Mm -hmm. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
and the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Most of us are familiar with the story of Isaiah in Isaiah 6, where he, his king and friend had died. He was in a grieving position, uh, and um, this is what happens many times when we're going through a traumatic experience in our lives, whether it's a loss of a loved one, a loss of a job, a loss of a house, loss of a child, whatever it is. It's during those times that God wants to open the eyes of our heart that we might see him more than the problem and see him as the solution. And sometimes that's a very large uh, chasm to leap over, but uh, this is where in my uh, own ministry I find it such a joy to be a connecting link between people and God. One of the greatest joys I have is to lead a person to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I see myself as a spiritual obstetrician, uh, just helping this person come into that relationship with him, and then to see them begin to move on into health. I'd like for you to look at this, uh, though, uh, like uh, uh, what I call cognitive therapy. This is a simplistic description of cognitive therapy, where you have the event that's happening in the first square, and now we're going to the next square, which is your belief system, your whole, how you're wired, all of the input you've had all your life is now your belief system, your perception about yourself, your perception about life, about money, about sex, about politics, church. It's all encapsulated in that belief system box. It's been programmed with all the input. And from that belief system box, it goes into your emotional response. Happy, sad, frustrated, depressed, joyful. And then from the emotional response, it goes into the behavior. You act out pretty well what you're feeling. And you're feeling pretty well what's been programmed into, into your computer. In your computer, uh, the body, the rest of it just kind of reads what's on the computer screen, and you're the one that's programming it. And somebody else may have programmed it, and you bought into it, so now this is your belief system. In Isaiah 26.1, uh, Norm. Um, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Matthew 5.8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Matthew 5, 8 again. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind in your heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Amen. You know, I have a lot of scriptures, but I make no excuses for it. One more, Colossians 3, 1 to 3. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your, your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. Now, don't those scriptures really excite you? They do me every time I read them. I read a lot of these to the people that come in to see me. And some of you have been in my office. You probably haven't memorized by now. But uh, they're just so rich. Uh, I mentioned Jeremiah 29, 11 this morning. But I'd like to have you listen to it in the Message Bible. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you. Not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I'll listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I will let you find me. In our times of trouble, in our times of troubles, may we look, and I don't think Upward. I can. Upward. Pardon? Upward. Upward, I can't make it out here, to your God who is the ultimate source and allow him to draw us even closer to him. Okay, hallelujah. Let's look at the inward perspective because this is what happened to Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw his holiness. He saw his majesty. Uh, and then something happened to Isaiah. He saw himself. He got an inward look. And this is what happens, folks. 
when we come into the presence of a holy God. You think about it for yourself for a moment. When you're with a brother or a sister who's really in love with Jesus and flowing in that area and they're living a holy, righteous life and your life isn't quite like that, somehow or another you're not as comfortable with that person as you are with somebody that's more on your level. And this is just magnifying that a million times. When we're coming in the presence of a holy God, there's something that happens that causes us to see ourselves and say, oh, I feel so unholy. I feel so undone. And this is what Isaiah was saying. Seeing the holy God, it just caused him to feel that he was unworthy and so on. Can you read that? Uh, Isaiah 6, 5 through 7. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. I'd like for you to think about the difference between um, condemnation and conviction. In Romans 8, 1, uh, 8, 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. And if you don't know the difference between conviction and condemnation, you're going to be suffering a lot of mental agony. Because what happens when we really do come to an awareness, as Isaiah did, that I'm undone. One version says I'm unraveled because I'm in the presence of a holy God. But God offered a way out. He purged him of his sin. This is what happens when we cry out to holy God. God, I've sinned. I see your holiness. And I'm not even close to that. God, forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Romans, or 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and fair. And he will forgive us and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. Um, I think uh, we'll just skip down to number 13, Daniel. Um, this is what happens, you know, in Garden of Eden, everything is beautiful. Uh, no sin, bliss, heaven on earth. Adam and Eve had it all together, walking with God in the cool of the day. I tell you, the farther you get away from the garden, the more anxiety there is. And what God is wanting to do is to bring us back to the garden experience intimacy with the Father, intimacy with each other, heaven on earth. And we don't have to wait, folks. We can begin to experience now, even though we're not really there, we're still in a wilderness experience, but we can experience it. We can have heaven on earth here. But uh, when Adam and Eve blew it, they committed treason. They violated God's command. And God could not continue to relate being a holy God, he could not continue to, rate, to relate to sinful man. But he loved mankind so much. Because see what happened when Adam and Eve sinned, they split into two halves. I call it the splitting of Adam. I try to, I try to get cute on that once in a while, but it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't happen. So and the needy self and the rejected self. And through the ages, mankind has been trying to pull those two pieces together. God, I I have all these needs. I need to be loved. I need to be accepted. I I need companionship. I need uh, somebody to really think I'm the greatest. And and, and I'm going to try to get somebody to do that for me. And somebody that can really accept me where I can really feel at home. So I'm going to find somebody out here that will do that for me. And I'll tell you, folks, until you come to the cross, there's no answer. It's only in the cross of Christ to the end of ourselves that we begin to understand what completeness is. It's only in him that we can be complete. And I tell you, if you're a single person, consider yourself a half a person looking for another half to make a whole, forget it. It's not going to work. Because it's only when you come to a place of completeness in him. My greatest needs are met in him. Complete peace and joy and fulfillment in him, 
Therefore, my needs are met primarily in him. I can recognize the difference between need and desires. If I'm saying to any human being, I desperately need you to make me feel worthwhile, to give me some kind of self-image, I desperately need you to make me feel that you, I have a place, a, a companion, uh, some companionship going on. Uh, I desperately need you to do that for me. If you can't do that for me, I'm going to try to manipulate you and remake you so you'll meet my needs in those areas. Or if you find out I can't, I'll have to push you aside and find somebody else that'll do that for me. Or if I can't find a person, I'll find some other way to invest my life into something that's going to pay off. A job, a sport, an activity, a drug, a substance. I've got to find something out there that will meet that craving in me that is so desperate. But it's not until you come to the cross and recognizing that it's only in Jesus that we have that. <clears throat> in that Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter in the Message Bible. Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ, the Master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. It started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with lights as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. If you only look at us, you might, as well, you might, as, might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay plots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. Amen. <clears throat> Powerful. Another part of that is, uh, that's pre to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. And he goes on to say, after all, there's not much chance of that because you know yourselves we're not much to look at. Amen. <laughs> so, uh, I see the clock is beating on and I'm not through and I, I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Let's... Uh, Let's move on to the uh, number 17, Daniel, please, uh, the outward perspective, because we've got the upward, the inward, and now the outward perspective. Then I, uh, let's see, Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to the, this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Okay, number 18. Um, some of you remember this from being in my office, but... This is a tool that I use quite often, helping us to understand that we have a parent within us, we have an adult, we have a child. The middle circle being spirit, also the soul and the body. We talked about that some, but in relationships, what God is after is a spirit-spirit connection where we're really allowing Jesus in us to connect with the Jesus in another person. And I tell you, one of the cries of my heart with marriages today is that married couples will begin to understand more than ever, how vital it is to build up your spiritual person to the point where you're fully satisfied with Jesus. You're fully content in him, allowing Jesus to so permeate you, setting the boundary that you're able to connect with another person's adult and spirit. And if they're not home, they're not responding from that, they're coming from their parent trying to control you, you can still stay in your adult, setting the boundary, and try to connect as best you can. Um, let's move on to number 19. Uh, we're talking about the cross. Because I feel this is so vital that we really understand this. You'll notice that the circle on the right there is your mind or your soul. And we receive messages from our human spirit. For where Christ is dead in trespasses and sin, we receive messages from the world with this philosophy as materialism connected, um, uh, giving messages to our mind and to the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life to the mind, and then the, uh, the past. All of these connecting to our mind, and from that we pretty well set our, our, our uh, pattern of life, our lifestyle. Uh, but Satan is the mastermind behind it. He's the god of this world. When Adam committed treason, this world turned over to Satan. And that's why we have such a battle today in the spirit world because it's still a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And that's why we have to be strong, knowing that when Jesus died on the cross, he took care of that. It's kind of confusing to a lot of people saying, well, if Jesus, in Hebrews 4.12, it says that 
when Jesus died on the cross, he rendered Satan powerless. Then if he is powerless, and I'm still being plagued with temptations in my flesh, and all of these other things coming in, then what's happening? I'll tell you what's happening is, we haven't learned how to utilize the power of the cross in our lives yet. And I appreciate Norm, my brother here. <laughs> We're on the same page about the power of the cross. You folks have been hearing that. You may hear some of it next week. I don't know. But this whole idea of allowing the power of the cross to come down. It's because the power is broken at the cross. So what's the problem? If I'm still plagued with the past, with my flesh, what is the problem? Let me tell you what it is. Communication. Satan still has the ability to lie to us, to steal, destroy. And if we don't know who we are in Christ, and we do not utilize the power of the cross in our lives, when we're being tempted with lust, when we're being tempted with other things in our lives, if we don't recognize Satan, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you and command you get on the other side of the cross where you belong. I am a new creation in Christ. I've been crucified to the flesh and to the past. And I have the power now through the blood of Jesus and the power of his name to withstand you. And so many Christians today are defeated because they do not know who they are. They do not know the power they have over the darkness. And therefore, they end in victory. I want to close with this one, uh, with a few more scriptures. And the 20th uh, slide there, Norm. God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away uh, from with from and forget about the couple in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Amen. Powerful. Uh, I love the Message Bible. It's a devotional Bible. Uh, it's not a good study Bible. I like the New King James for that, but it's a good devotional Bible. A few years ago, I was speaking at a singles conference, Bay Area's single conference, up at a campsite up by near Santa Rosa. And um, I spoke on Friday night. I was supposed to be twice on Saturday. Got up Sunday, uh, Saturday morning, as my custom was, spend time in the presence of the Lord, and I usually go for... Uh, fast walk, my praise and uh, prayer walk, listening to worship or listening to scriptures. And that morning as I had finished my devotional time and prepared for my walk, I noticed that it was very foggy at the camp, uh, the level of the camp where we were. And I, my plan was to walk up this very tall hill, hill and spend some more time in the presence of the Lord up there. I knew it was a Vesper area where they had a stage, a platform, a grassy area where they... Um, uh, people could sit, and people could worship team on the platform, and so on. They had a large cross behind the platform. When I got up there, it was clear. The sun was shining, the birds were singing, the flowers were beautiful, the grass was green, and just God and I. And I had my Bible with me, and I laid it down on the platform, and I was walking back and forth on this platform, and just worshiping and enjoying the presence of God. I tell you, folks, there's nothing like worship. And I love the worship in this house. And I, but as I was enjoying the presence of God and back and forth, and I opened my eyes at one point and I looked down and the sun had come up behind the cross and cast a shadow. And there I was on the cross beam of the cross. This is what God said to me. He may be saying something like this to you today. Don Phillips, there's still too much of Don Phillips and not enough of me. And I tell you folks, the more we come to the cross daily, laying down our lives, being crucified with him, allowing him to lead us into the deeper intimacy with the Father, then we're going to have more power to withstand everything the devil throws at us. 
This is no afternoon athletic contest that we're going to walk away from in a few hours. This is for keeps, a life or death struggle to the finish. But the victory's already been won. It's a matter of you learning how to appropriate your position and your power in that area. Let's stand, please, as the worship team comes. We're going to open the altars for those who feel a need to come. And some of you may not need anyone to pray with you. You just want to spend some time in the Lord's presence and doing business with him, letting him do a PET scan on you and being open. If he's bringing you to repentance, do it. Don't walk out of here without doing business with him. Settle it today, allowing him to come in and show you the areas that you needed to repent of, to change, to adjust, and allow his presence to meet you and knowing that he's here to meet you at whatever level you're at. Hallelujah.